Welcome to the board game community show. I'm your host, Riley Stock. Join me as I get to know folks in this community. They could be designers or streamers, podcasters, YouTubers, publishers, whatever. Really anything within her at the end of its title is welcome here on the board game community show. Show, show. Welcome back to the Board Game Community Show. I, oh, I, you know who I am. The song already played. So I am to, I'm joined today by Arwen from Cardboard Time. How are you doing? Hey, Riley. I am doing fantastic. It's a wonderful song. Uh, very <laughs> grungy vibes. I, I love it. I was a child of the 90s, yes. uh, the, the 80s and 90s. So uh, grunge was kind of my scene. And I got those kind of flavors and notes of that. So, nice. But I'm, I'm doing great. I tried to poppy it up, actually, because the very first recording of it was more like, they could be, you know, like I like <laughs> I like did a little bit more like gravelly voice type thing. And I was like, you know what? Like, let's make it a little bit more poppy. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> is there is there lost footage out there of that of you doing that and like a, a lost cover that we're going to un- oh. unearth like <laughs> 10 years from now? Yeah, for sure. That'll be the the original the demo track, right? <laughs> Love it. Love it. I need to hear this. <laughs> Sometimes I like it more, actually. Anyways, we're not here to talk about my stuff. We're here to talk about yours, your podcast, you, you as a gamer and a person. How did you get into board gaming? Yeah, it's it's a really interesting uh, story because I kind of was a little bit of a late bloomer when it came to gaming. Um, a lot of people get in in their teens and that, and I played the standard Monopoly and, you know, shoots and ladders and ants in your pants and all that as a kid. But I, I kind of tended more towards video games in my teens and my 20s. And in my late 20s, about 2011, I started getting into the hobby. One of my friends introduced me to a little game called Dungeon Quest which some people have heard of. Uh, Usually when you talk about that game, uh, the people that have heard of it, their eyes light up and they're like, oh, oh, I remember that game. (laughs) Uh, It had about an 8.3% survival rate. Uh, So you're going into this dungeon and you're trying to explore and get loot and then get out at the same time. Very much kind of like Clank, but you know, maybe not as strategic. Uh, you're just going in and flipping <laughs> cards and seeing what you get. Um, so it, it, it was a really interesting game and you usually didn't survive. You usually got trapped in the dungeon or killed by something. And it was just a lot of fun. Um, and it was really what showed me what board games could do. Cause I just figured it was something that, you know, a bunch of people got together and, um, you know, played all these weird games and, you know, that was kind of boring. It was, 
there was nothing flashy to see. There was no shooting going on or anything. <laughs> and once I played that, I started kind of building my collection a little bit, uh, which was my downfall, uh, especially ramping up in like the 2016 timeframe. A lot of games started coming out that I was trying to explore the themes of and um, you know, just just kind of seeing what was coming out. It was kind of that renaissance period where things were really, really picking up and you wanted everything. So I bought everything, like everything that was on sale. Let me get a copy of it. It's fantastic. Yeah, let me let me just keep building up this collection uh, until it got to be a little bit of a problem. Um, most people kind of know my show for the Shelf of Shame segment. Uh, which at one point was 330 unplayed games. Uh, yeah, it was it was a big problem. So that was kind of the genesis of my show was the fact that I had all these unplayed games. And I was kind of looking for a way to introduce my voice into the into the board game world. And I thought that that would be a, a good way of doing it. Um, my mentor, Aaron from Boards Alive, uh, great show. Going to plug that while I'm here. Um, he kind of helped me focus uh, my voice on that and saying, you know, you've got such a unique story. You might as well tell it. And so I've been doing that ever since. I'm down to my last count uh just recorded episode 49 and i was at 155 so definitely lost a lot of weight uh you could say uh off those <laughs> shelves so that is really impressive I, we did the tabletop express on the table right together uh, mm-hmm. months ago and i was so fascinated by your games because i don't think i had heard of a single one of the ones you played is that like your shelf of shame too? Do you think like a lot of them are obscure games that you're just like, that looks fascinating? Is What what made that problem, I guess? So, yeah, I, I, I think that was part of it. I think anything that I saw that had a really unique, interesting theme that was different was something that I picked up. Not only that, but anything that seemed like a good, I'm using air quotes here because nobody can see us, uh, value. Uh, which meant this was a really heavy box and I'm getting it for cheap. That was my buying strategy at the time. Nice. (laughs) So it was like anything that was, hey, this is cheap. I can get this for five bucks, 10 bucks, whatever. I'm going to bring that in and someday I'll get it played, right? Someday somebody will play it with me. And I have some of the most obscure games that you've ever seen in your entire life. Um, There is one on my shelf, uh, still on my shelf of shame, uh, that a friend got for me called Globopolis. And he got it at a garage sale. And he said, this is so weird. I thought of you. I'm like, well, (laughs) thanks, Mike. I I appreciate that. and essentially, it's like Monopoly on a round board with Legos. Hmm. I don't know exactly how the gameplay works, but that's how I've heard it described. I I have another game called PBL Robots that, uh, you know, was a two to three player game. And you're just building up these robots with these really crude drawings. Like it was 
almost stopped in prototype phase. Um, but somehow it made its way onto my shelves. So oh, someday wow. I'll get it played, but that is, that's fun. <laughs> I guess with that, like, uh, you know, you have, you've had the experience of having the huge shelf of shame opportunity, whatever you want to call it. Um, do you, when you buy a new game, do you try to like buy a game with a plate, like a, a, a date set, I guess, where you'll play it by, uh, or cause you know, you have that like PTSD of like, this is just going to end up on the shelf of shame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So maybe not a, a date so much in mind, but I I'm starting to shift my mentality over to more of that shelf of opportunity. Um, at first it was a shelf of shame because there were some games on it that I was never going to play. Um, one of the recent examples was like, I, I had an, a copy of Twilight Imperium, first edition, third edition, and fourth edition. And after being in the hobby for 10 plus years, I finally got my first Twilight Imperium game done. And I just said, you know what? I've got two of these games that are just going to sit there unplayed. I want them to go to a home that can use them, that's going to give them some love, that's going to appreciate them. And... Now that I've kind of started going through my shelves and just kind of purging the games, I really I I have no interest in playing whatsoever. Um, It is getting more towards that opportunity, uh, you know, kind of kind of nomenclature. Um, My my purchases definitely do have a lot of thought in them uh, as of late. Um, every once in a while, there's still the, the occasional, like a theme just grabs me and I just need to grab it. And I know that someday with a player count and everything, I will get it to the table. Um, and and a lot of times those newer games do hit the table relatively quickly, um, because they are something that I focused on and they're something that I really, really want to get out. So I do bring them to the table relatively quickly. Um, they, they don't tend to sit around. Um, so that's, that's kind of new purchases. And then I, every once in a while go back on the BGG and say, Hey, I'd really like to play this. This sounds like this is, you know, kind of what I'm in the mood for this weekend or this coming week when I've got some time. Let's try to get this out to the table. So I do set those goals for myself. Nice. That makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, how long have you been podcasting for? Did you hit your year? Are you about to? Uh, You're getting close, right? Yeah, I'm actually getting close to two years at this point. Oh, that's right, because you do every other week. I do every other week, yeah. Yeah, I, I started in November of 2020, um, you know, it, it, it's been a journey for me. Uh, I haven't gone back and listened to that first podcast, uh, <laughs> since my first anniversary episode that I did back in November of 2021, uh, where I sat and listened to about 10 minutes of it and promptly had to turn it off because it was, it was quite painful to listen to. Um, but yeah, I've been doing it for almost two years now. It's definitely a labor of love. Uh, statistically, people in the podcasting field were kind of a rarity uh, where we've got more than 10 shows. 
uh, a lot of people don't make it past 10 shows. They'll do, you know, they'll get this great idea for a couple of shows that they want to do. And then they do those, they release them, they don't get the feedback that they want, and then they eventually stop. Um, Where I viewed it more as a, a process and a labor of love that I was going to talk about these games anyways. So I might as well just record it and do it and put it out there into the world. And eventually just started growing a following and growing a community. And um, I think that is kind of where those podcasts stick, where, you know, you're going to do it anyways. So just enjoy the process. Yeah. Well, I think that brings up what I was thinking of. of If you want to do something more make a podcast, become a content creator and don't care about your audience size. Like just utilize it as an excuse to do something, you know, like a organized fun. He Mm -hmm. used it as an excuse to just like play a game uh, every week type thing and talk about it. And so that like got in my head, like, Oh, you know, like maybe I should start doing reviews with my wife so that we have an excuse to like play a game and talk about it. This was an excuse for me because I, you know, during the pandemic, I felt so socially uh, like stunted because Mm -hmm. all I did was sit at home, interact with my wife. And that was it. Like maybe some phone calls with friends every once in a while. Um, But I wasn't actually talking to people. So I was like, I'm going to just start. I I love this board game community online. Why not try and talk to random people there and like use it as a way to get some of my like social skills back? Uh, Still not back, obviously, but... (laughs) Well, it and yeah, I I think that's something that I've kind of been developing as well. You talk about uh, developing social skills and that I transitioned. Um, I am transgender. I transitioned in uh, January starting uh, HRT, they call it, Mm -hmm. uh, in January of 2020. And this was my way of kind of introducing myself back socially uh, into the world. And it was, I, I think it's been a great experience because it's been comfortable. Uh, it started with just audio. Then, you know, I started doing some video. I got comfortable being on people's shows. Um, I got comfortable at conventions again. So it's, it's been a process of kind of reintroducing myself socially in another way. Uh, as as well as just socially in general, because, you know, COVID was a thing. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was definitely a thing for my social life. Yeah, I feel like that's such an interesting time to transition as well with, uh, you know, like you're not seeing people face to face anymore. And so then it's like, how do you kind of break that to people? How do you approach that? You know, like. It's already yeah. like a very nerve-wracking experience. Yeah, it actually worked out in my favor. Like, the timing was perfect. I started <laughs> HRT, um, and then a couple months later, the world shut down. So I kind of, you know, uh, originally at work, I had set a hard date of Memorial Day that was going to be like, hey, we're going to have this meeting with everybody and we're going to tell them that I'm transitioning and this is my name and these are my pronouns and this is how you act around me, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I didn't have to do that. 
I got that delayed by a month. And then eventually it became less of, I have this looming deadline coming to, I need to tell people because I'm ready. And I just kind of went into the pandemic a boy and came out a girl and it was (laughs) cool. (laughs) And I, I think it helped that I was able to go and just have meetings where my face was on the screen. Uh, people were seeing it. People were seeing my name. Um, I didn't have to go in in person. There wasn't that awkward, you know, I, I had a really awkward hair phase. Not that my hair is great today, um, but it looks great. It does. <laughs> don't lie, Riley. <laughs> <laughs> hey, they can't see. No, it really they does. Can't see. <laughs> no, it, it's it. It was a really cool thing to to kind of be lucky enough to have that timing where I didn't have to go and have that forced socialization. I could go in and, and kind of control things from my own pace. So it was it was very fortunate. It was a very interesting time, but a very fortunate one. Yeah. Can I ask a question actually about hair? Yeah. Absolutely. This is something that got brought up recently and I don't remember where, but I'm just like, there's got to be some transition between like boy hair and girl hair type thing. Yeah, you know, it's like, awful. It, it, yeah, like, oh, <laughs> you know, so maybe awkward. It, I think you were talking about a hair appointment and that got me thinking about like, because your hair, I, you know, I've done a live stream with you and your hair, you, your hair looks great. And I'm like, if I grew my hair out like that, it would not look anything like it would look terrible. So I don't know what's that what's that experience like if you don't mind me asking. Oh, absolutely not. Um I I talked I actually have talked to Roberto Lopez about that. Um, oh, really? On his uh podcast as well. Um he had me on and he does all sorts of hair on uh sheer boredom and it it's a very interesting process because I had to go into a brand new hairstylist. Um, I moved away from Buffalo, and I'm sorry, my stories are going to be convoluted. It's just how I talk. Um, I I do tend to ramble, uh, but I do feel like sometimes I give good background information. So <laughs> it's um, perfect for this show. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm telling a story. So yeah, um, I had a barber. Uh, back. Uh, I grew up in Buffalo, New York, around uh, that area. And I had a barber. He was, you know, the stereotypical Italian barber that took care of my hair since I was 12 years old. And I, you know, I, I just had this ongoing relationship with him. I would go back from college and I'd go to him. Then I moved down to uh, Gatson, Alabama in 2012 which kind of severed those ties. So um, every once in a while, I went back to a mind visit and everything. But I was always kind of in flux with my hair uh, after 2012. So sometimes I'd get him to take care of it. And then other times I would just, you know, just go to like a great clips or whatever and just say, just make it short and whatever. Mm -hmm. So... I had never really had long hair. Like I tried to grow it out once when I was in college um, with the excuse that it was for a costume and it just didn't work. I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the understanding of how to take care of it, how to brush it out, how to comb it out, uh, how to curl it, how to blow dry it. 
so it was interesting having to go and basically make an appointment with a stylist and say, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to grow my hair out. And my stylist, God bless her, goes and says, well, you know, are you sure that that's the only reason that you want to grow your hair out? Like, it's okay. You're in a safe place. Like, if you're just a guy and you want to grow your hair out, that's fine. But I am very open. If you have goals, you know, you need to tell me. And I was like, yeah, I'm probably transitioning. And she's like, oh, yeah, cool. All right. Here's what we're going to do. So (laughs) she's kind of been with me every step of the way where, you know, she's kind of taking care of it. She goes, this is going to get awkward. And it did. I dyed it red for a few months um, just to try something different because I hadn't. Uh, So you go through all those steps and you go through all those phases and it's been a slow process of learning. I'm still not there. Like I still, if I want to look nice, I will go and get a blowout, you know, at a salon, I'll pay the money and I'll just have them do it. Um, If it's just for daily wear, I just go and uh, wash it and blow dry it, you know, and sometimes throw some curl in there. So nice. So it's been a journey. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That was that's really fascinating to hear. So yeah. Well, it did not take long to get away from board games at all. Uh, <laughs> Never does with me. I'm no. I I go all over the place. It's wild. Same. So this is perfect. I'm loving this. Uh, with um, but let's go back to board games. What kind of yeah. games are you into? What are your favorite types? What's your favorite game? So. So asking me what my favorite game is, I'm not going to divulge that information. That's waiting until uh, something special that we have planned. Ooh, okay. I am I am going to... I can't give out any specifics, but that is the first time releasing that out to the universe in general. Nice. Uh, I do have something planned. Um, I am working with somebody, and that's all that I can say. But I can give you some of my favorites. Okay. I am an engineer by trade, not to get off topic again, but <laughs> so engine building really resonates with me. So games like Space Base, absolutely love Space Base. Wingspan has grown on me, even though I thought that Gizmos was kind of a, a better straightforward engine builder. Um, Wingspan, I've probably played more games of at this point, just because... You know, it it's grown on me and I keep going back to it. And there's a little bit more depth than I thought was there at first. Um, so I'm really into those engine builders. I like co-op games as well. Um, I, I think a lot of us kind of want to get to the table as a form of community and seeing friends, making friends. Uh, bringing everybody to the table. And to me, cooperative games tend to do that a lot as long as you don't get that quarterback-y player that can ruin experiences. But um, we try to stay away from that. Uh, Yeah, I'm kind of... I would consider myself more of a medium-weight gamer. Um, I tend to stay in that, like, 3.0 on BGG rating... Um, you know, 2.5 to 3.5 every once in a while, I'll get out of my comfort zone and play something heavier. Sounds like a lot of great types. Um, are there 
very many cooperative engine building games. Have you have you played any? No, I, I, I keep looking out for them. I know that there's a couple that I can't remember what they were, but there's a couple that are coming out that are more cooperative engine building. Hmm. So I know there's a little aspect uh, to that. There was a game by Pandasaurus called The Loop. And I think there was a little bit of engine building in that. I'm trying to think of of other ones. I I think the combo of that would be pretty cool. Yeah, that's what I was just thinking. I was like, uh, something like Wingspan or, you know, uh, uh, oh gosh, Space Base. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, having something like that where you can work together to build something. Uh, Space Base actually yeah. did have a module uh, for the first expansion that you could go up against an enemy ship that you were trying to work against. You had to score points before the enemy ship did enough damage to you. It was kind of like a... It wasn't a throwaway, um, but it was... (laughs) It was definitely, like, not something that was outstanding that you would go back and you would say, hey, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna go in and, um, you know, really uh, go back to playing this quite a bit. I think it it was kind of one of those like, yeah, okay, this was instructional and I got to do this with my friends and it was kind of the culmination of the uh, tutorial experience of the expansion, but I'm not going to go back to it. The one that does stand out in my mind is the new expansion for Valeria Card Kingdoms. That is a cooperative engine builder. I just got through that. I I have almost everything for Valeria at this point. Uh, very much like Space Base, but enough of a difference. I feel like I can keep both. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I'll I think check the, that out. I think the expansion was uh, Dark Sworn, and you were actually working together to try to you know achieve objectives and that. So it was pretty cool. Nice. I yeah, I'll definitely check that out. I'm big into co-op. Co-op's my jam. So. That's what I prefer. Yeah, yeah. Not that, you know, competitive is fun too, as long as everybody's in the mood for that or or doesn't get hurt feelings. So Exactly. So you've been, we've been trying to schedule this kind of for a couple months. Forever. Uh, Well, I think really it's just I've reached out twice because it's like, okay, like I'll schedule, I'll I'll reach out, try and schedule something, but then you're not available. So then I schedule a few episodes or and a few other guests. And then my next time that I'm scheduling people out, I'll reach out to you again. And both times you were going to conventions. Mm -hmm. And uh, (laughs) so you're finally here, which is great. But let's talk about convention. I've never, I've only been to my local conventions here. So how how have the conventions been? Really? Um, so it, it's been interesting kind of seeing the evolution of conventions since I first started going. My first was Origins uh, back in 2016, I think okay. I went. It was 2016 or 2017. And I was going as you know, basically somebody that was really interested in the hobby and just wanted to see what games were out there and see the new stuff. And that was really exciting. And I got to, you know, meet a couple designers and that was so cool. Um, you know, these people that you see their name on the box and, uh, you get to meet them and that kind of thing. So, yeah. So I, 
kind of stuck to Origins for quite a while. It was my yearly kind of thing that I did and always kind of wanted to go to Gen Con, never quite got there, but always kind of on my radar. And I would hear from Essen and things like that. And then I started doing this in the pandemic and I basically went to the first Origins that they had, which was... I want to say the second convention, the major convention back from uh, the pandemic, like a lot of restrictions in place. It was very small. Attendance was low. People were really worried. Um, there were a lot of people still very leery about everything. And, and you know, rightfully so with the the information that we had at the time, you know, it, it was kind of a, a, you know, thing where I was concerned making sure that we, you know, addressed all the protocols and everything. And I then went to PAXU. And then this year I went to Origins and uh, applied for a media badge there, got that. Applied for a media badge at Gen Con, got that. Applied for a media badge at PAXU uh, for December, and I'll be going there as well. Nice. So it's been... I, I've been able to kind of turn conventions into more of a business trip, which has had its advantages and disadvantages. And it, it like Origins last year, uh, PAXU last year, Origins this year, Gen Con this year were very much business oriented. I'm thinking about trying to scale that back. And I did that a little bit at, uh, at Gen Con this year where... I'm not scheduling so many meetings. I'm going to schedule more gaming time. That's one reason I'm there. I'm there to report on games. It helps to build these relationships with publishers. You know, you get to make friends that way. You get to know who you're dealing with, whether they're a good fit for you, you know, whether you really want to focus on their content or not. Mm-hmm. And... I, I've established those relationships with a lot of publishers now to the point that I don't necessarily need to take a meeting with them. I just stop by and say, hey, you know, just want to say hi uh, every once in a while. Go grab dinner with them, uh, that kind of thing. So it's been a really cool way of getting to meet people that I kind of idolized in a way. Like you would see these people running around the booths and it's like, oh, I, you know, I know you, I know you, I know you designed this. I, you know, know that you were the publisher for this. And now I get to go out to dinner with them. I get to drink beer with them. You know, it's just a really, it's a really cool experience because at the end of the day, you know, we're all people and we're all in this for the love of board games. I don't think that we would be doing this if we didn't absolutely love the hobby. And I think that really, it kind of lends to both of our podcasts because we both really like to kind of show the human side of things and show the people that are behind uh, board gaming and, and show that community aspect. And conventions to me are like a perfect microcosm of that. They show the community. It's a place where everybody's getting together and sitting down at the table and having fun and chit-chatting. And games almost become secondary at that point 
to the relationships that you're making with people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole focus of my show. And that's actually something that I've really enjoyed listening to your episodes is that I feel like, you know, you have a guest, you get to know them. And it, it I feel like this is like a sister podcast to me, you know, like yeah, listening to it. I'm like, this is exact. This is we're doing a lot of the same things you, I think, are a lot better, honestly. Uh, <laughs> I disagree. I absolutely disagree. <laughs> you, uh, you've you got some good structure and get to talk a little bit more about game, specific games. Like you have like segments where you're talking about like, oh, what's been on the table type thing. And, uh, and yeah, but you yeah. you have that banter as well, like what we have going on here where, you know, you have some of those questions, but at the same time, you do a lot more banter. And I do think that that's a really good way of getting more personal and deeper information out of somebody that that you can really get to know them. So I think there's it's it's a different approach. Um, I do think it kind of elicits different information out of people. So I think it's a, a nice kind of tag team duo that we've got going on. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's I think it's fun. I and you can go and you can listen to the same person do different interviews and just depending on who the host is, you know, sometimes you get the same information every interview, but mm-hmm. then you get different things. Like I think you were eliciting new responses that I hadn't heard from guests that I've heard other places, you know, like I was like, "Oh, that was really cool. I've never heard that from that person before." Um which is always really exciting. So yeah, yeah, it's fun. If you haven't listened to Arwen's podcast, go listen to it because it is. It's if you're listening to this one, then I know you'll like hers. So do it. Yeah, very. <laughs> I I think that's one thing that I have really kind of grown into that I didn't start off with. I didn't start off with necessarily the intent of that community aspect. Um where I was just reviewing games. I was just trying to get games off of my shelf. I was like, hey, it's cool if I can get, you know, review copies of games. Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't it be awesome if I could get to go to conventions, you know, maybe for free? <laughs> and it it really has turned into, these are people that I care about and these are people that I really like and that, you know, have interesting stories and they're people and they're awesome and you know the real humans behind the games that are being put out yeah and i think a lot of times and i i've said this over and over again but i think a lot of times that gets forgotten in the shuffle uh especially when you're dealing with people who put out kickstarter content and maybe don't deliver on time um, one of the hardest things I ever had to do was go in and, and talk negatively about a Kickstarter experience I had because I knew I have actually had conversations with the people that put out the Kickstarter. I've sat there and had a beer in my hand with them and talked and chit chatted and knew what was going on behind the scenes. And I had to separate those two where I had to report on this experience, but at the same time, this is a human being. Yeah. The people can be awful and it does help to remind people of that fact that there is a person behind this. Absolutely. It's, it's such a tricky line. Cause I think a lot of people think like, Oh, I'm just dissing the game type thing, but there are people that put their heart and soul into mm-hmm. that game, you know, like so many, so many hours and, and they don't, uh, you know, there's there's definitely a difference between feedback and 
and just criticism. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So it's hard to distinguish, but And like yeah. like you said, it it is a labor of love for a lot of people. I mean, it's it's something that they it, you don't necessarily get a look behind the scenes into margins what people make on games but it's really not that much and these (laughs) companies are not giant behemoths they are like like a big company is considered to be maybe 20 people and that's it putting out these productions so it really is a labor of love for most people Oh, absolutely. So I think that's important. Like I, you know, you had Tim from Board Game Hot Takes and I love their show because they are very honest. They, Mm -hmm. if they don't like a game, they'll say why, you know, there's three of them. So chances are one of them will like it, but, but it's very honest feedback about like this. These are the pros. These are the cons. Do I want to play this again? Yes. No. You know, like, um, and we're just talking about the game type thing. They don't, but they don't get into like bashing and just being like, yeah. Oh, you know, like terrible, terrible design, terrible, you know, blah, 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 you know, like getting kind of throwing insults, I think. Um, But I don't know. It's, it's, it's a hard thing as a content creator. Luckily for me, right. I mainly focus on talking to people. Uh, So like, exactly. Even if they have a, game that i do not like at all uh i can absolutely have a great time chatting with them because i think they're interesting awesome people like i haven't i'm you know so many episodes in here over 80 episodes now geez yeah um and i haven't had a bad guest yet knock on wood oh gosh (laughs) awesome i'm hoping that i'm not breaking that streak so no no this is great you're awesome so (laughs) i knew listening i was like okay she goes off on little side rants uh, gets distracted. This is going to mm-hmm. be great. <laughs> mm-hmm. I definitely do. To. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> when you have to give those like negative comments on a project on a, on a game, do you find, do you ever like reach out to the person beforehand and be like, listen, I have to, you know, like what do you, what's your protocol there? Yeah. So there's, there's some games, especially if it's something off of my shelf of shame, then no harm, no foul. I bought the game. I do not correspond with that person. I just go and I don't talk about it um, because I do want to keep a very positive atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, chances are, if you don't hear about a game on my show that you've seen that I've played, either it is in the queue or I didn't feel very favorably about it. There have been exceptions. Um you know, we we did talk about vivid memories, and the way that I framed that was, I saw such, I saw such potential in that game that I was sad that I didn't feel that it lived up to expectations. And I hope that, you know, I have seen positive reviews for it, so I hope that people um, that really enjoyed it they got their hands on it and they were able to get a copy because, you know, then those copies were going to the people that, that needed them. I do try to find the positives in the game as much as I can. Uh, sometimes I compliment sandwich, but it, you know, if, if it's a game off my shelf of shame, again, it's just one of those things that I don't talk about it and I'm done with it. I sell it off. That's not yeah. It. If I get a review copy, that's a little bit different. 
if it's something that I did not like, I will reach out to the publisher and I will say this was not for me. Um, you know, I don't think that I really want to talk about it. I can do a review on it. Here's what I thought. You know, if you want me to go ahead and re you know review it and put that out there, that's absolutely fine. I will do that. Otherwise, you know, how would you like me to handle this? You know, would you like me to pass it off to another uh, reviewer? Um, would you like me to return it to you? Um, because I do want to have those games find their way to people that are going to enjoy them. Yeah, I know that not everything's going to be for me. I'm sure you've played games that people have raved about that you didn't like. You didn't see the the real appeal of. Um, I think we all have different tastes. Uh, we refine those tastes through playing a bunch of games, which is the nice thing. We've kind of become a little bit better at identifying what we want and what we don't want. Um, and we can ask for those. But I, I, I do try to work with... Um, you know, publishers as much as possible, um, you know, to say this really wasn't for me. Um, you know, what yeah. would you like me to do? Because I think that's only fair. Um, they are giving you a review copy. They are giving you something for free. And that is something that I would prefer not to put that negativity, not to put that hostility out there and just say, you know, what would you like me to do? I think that's a really uh, cool way to handle it in a way I had never really thought of because of, I'm trying to think of other pod. There's certain ones where like if they only do positive things, then I generally don't trust their, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, OK, I'm assuming this is a paid review or preview more so like uh, so there's been so many games that get built up in the hype because a company is able to go send out a bunch of copies, pay people to give previews for it. And of course those people are professionals and they're going to make it look as good as possible and as fun as possible and build that hype. And then I feel like I'm missing out, but then I listen to the people I trust and they've got their hands on it. And it's like, Oh, uh, okay, never mind. You know, like I'm glad I didn't buy that this. And then later I might try it for free somewhere, you know, like at a convention. And it's like, mm -hmm. yes, I am definitely glad I didn't give into that hype. So I think that's a really cool and unique way that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about doing. I think when I've asked other content creators, they're just like, you know, I, I might not use certain words, uh, you know, like saying, uh, like, I highly recommend this. Like, if they say I highly recommend this, that means they actually liked it. Uh, mm -hmm. If they leave that out, then it's like, you may not notice they didn't say that, but that means that, you know, like, it sounds really good and everything, but it wasn't their type of game. Um, there's like more subtle cues, but where you have it, you just like don't necessarily feature it. <laughs> yeah. And there are some every once in a while that, you know, I look at and I'm not able to give it the love that it deserves. <laughs> um, I can see the positive qualities in it, but it's not something that I play. And yeah. usually it's it's one of those things like I, I had that happen with a game by XYZ called uh, Tiny Tina's Robot Tea Party. Um, wasn't for me. I was not the target audience for it. Um, I could see where it would be fun for kids. It was more of a kid's game. It wasn't really my cup of tea. That was a pun, but... Um, <laughs> yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was just thinking because like, I have that game. 
uh, is it a wasn't... huge Borderlands fan. And I totally agree. Like, it's perfect yeah. for kids. I played it with my nephew. Great. Me and my brother played it. Eh, it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, this is okay. But I, I did get that off to a friend of mine. And there's no ill will. I've done work with XYZ since, you know, and you just be honest and say, this is what my thoughts were. And I think that is one thing um, in in talking with Tim as well. It's kind of reinforced the whole standpoint of I don't want to take paid reviews because I've built up an audience that I've built up a trust with them. Mm -hmm. Uh, They know that they can come to me to be honest, to be forthcoming about games. Um, Chances are, again, if you're going to hear about a game on my podcast, it's either going to be positive or it's going to be, well, the game was all right, you know, but if you're looking for this type of experience, it might be for you. Um, Try before you buy. I always recommend try before you buy at this point, if you can. Yeah. there's always going to be those impulse buys, you know, it, it, it happens. <laughs> None of us are perfect. I get None it. None of us are perfect, but I do recommend, you know, try before you buy, figure out who you align with as far as uh, podcasters go, because that trust is a very important thing. And you may not align with anything that I say, like my set of games that I like might be completely different from something that that you like. And that's fine. Um, I've learned to deal with that. I'm not going to be, you know, everybody's favorite podcaster. Um, I'm not going to be able to make recommendations for everybody. But I will be able to do it for some people. Board Game Hot Takes can do it for a lot of people because they have, you know, four different people at the table that are able to talk about games and and give their opinions and they know, hey, I align with Tim on this. So I'm going to go off of his recommendations. And I, I do think that that's important. And it is important to find somebody that, you know, you know, isn't necessarily taking paid reviews and going in being honest. Um, or if they are doing paid reviews, that that is not clouding their judgment. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, that is on them, you know, to to be impartial and say, you know, hey, this is a paid review. Um, but here's what my actual thoughts were on the game. Yeah, or to, I mean, there's like a Rodney Smith, he a lot of the times he doesn't give actual thoughts on the game. But he also has said, like, generally, if I'm doing a game, I have i enjoy it to some extent at least yeah like um, well and and i think that goes back to the point of why would you why would you talk about something that you didn't enjoy yeah which we talked about before we started i think i don't know if that (laughs) made it in there but yes we've talked about you and i talked about yeah why would you do this like why would we podcast if we weren't having fun doing it right Right. So, you know, that extends over to games. Why would I talk about a game that I didn't enjoy? You know, I I don't want to have the burden of going in and talking about something that isn't going to be positive, that isn't going to draw people into the hobby, uh, which is what one of my main focuses is, is really, you know, bringing people into the hobby, um, making them feel welcome, giving them, you know, advice on, hey, Maybe these are some things that you can check out. It's such a fascinating thing to me. Reviews, 
review copies, review paid reviewers. It's all it's just such a fascinating thing. And mm-hmm. there's so many ways to tackle it ethically, I think. Absolutely. Um, so there's some there's some big names out there that I love seeing stuff from, but I won't buy a, I know for a fact I won't buy a game based on what they're posting or reviewing, you know, or previewing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'll like I might look into a game, but I'll I have other people that I trust. So yeah, like you want to see a rules overview or you want to see, you know, just the general gameplay flow. I like the way that this person presents stuff, but I'm yeah. not necessarily going to implicitly trust what they say as far as, you know, what they put out there, you know, from a I like this, I didn't like this uh, perspective. I yeah. I think that there is kind of room for both. Well, I think a perfect way to tackle that at the end of the video is, or, or audio or whatever it is, is just saying like, if you like this type of thing, like mm-hmm. if you like simple games, like uh, <laughs> that you want to play with your child, uh, this could be a fun one. If you like, you know, like if that's not your cup of tea, then move on, you know, uh, <laughs> you're doing it too now. Bring it back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump to outside of board games. What other hobbies do you have? Well, board games are a major one for sure. I <laughs> I spend so much time playing board games and and talking about them. So outside of the workplace, I am you know a fairly big uh, advocate for LGBTQ plus rights. You know, I I do spend a lot of time volunteering in the community and and trying to you know help with events. I am a board member of what's known as P Flag. Uh, it is. An, an old acronym uh, that is not used anymore. It's kind of more of an outdated acronym. Um, but essentially what it is, is an organization that helps parents and friends and loved ones of people that are LGBTQ kind of come to terms with it, uh, provide support, provide community, provide guidance. They were a big help when I transitioned, you know, and and me kind of going through the process with my mom and my dad, uh, really helping them through and and seeing that everything was going to be okay. And, you know, we needed to work together. These parents that have been through this process uh, have seen, yep, everything's good. And, they're able to relate because they've seen other parents that have gone through this. So I went through the process and then I became a board member because I wanted to help how I could, you know, with awareness and everything. So I do a lot of uh, community activities when it comes to that volunteering, staffing tables, doing Pride Day. I'm a, a board member of my uh, you know, work LGBTQ uh, plus organization as well. Uh, so I do that. I love really bad movies. <laughs> the Room is one of my favorites. It is everything that that movie put forward. I was unprepared for, and it was just a wild ride. And I love movies like that. Movies like The Room. Movies like Troll Two. Like bad horror movies, bad drama movies. Um, straight to DVD releases. <laughs> I just love watching them and sitting there with friends. Again, anything that can really kind of get me in a setting 
with other people that I can chat, that I can listen to stories, that we can we can talk and catch up. I'm trying to think of what else. I do drink beer on occasion. I do love a, a good microbrewery. Again, you know, common theme. Get together with people and and hang out. Those are those are really my main interests. I do love hiking. I don't do it nearly enough. I love getting out there and getting into nature. If I do need a break from people, being able to go and hike and and kind of enjoy uh, the outdoors and and just peace and quiet and away from everything. So, yeah, that's kind of what I do in a nutshell. Nice. That's a lot of great stuff. I love it. Can you hear hear that helicopter? I live by a, uh, an airport. Oh, it's getting closer now. Hold on. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes it gets like really loud. And when, when I like record, when I go back and edit it, I'm like, oh, I should have just stopped for a second and let it pass. There have been like so many helicopters passing by today. Oh, no. Like that's um, that's one thing. I live near uh, the Akron Canton Airport. After the pandemic, the flights like went way down like delta pulled out of the airport entirely oh. uh we got a couple of budget airlines but they're more focused on flying south and the airport is south from us so we'll get one or two that are flying overhead to either new york city or philadelphia but nothing most of the things are going to like fort myers and orlando and miami and mm. and those kind of destinations so i used to have planes flying overhead all the time and now i don't that is a bonus i do have the goodyear blimp that flies over my house because i'm about a mile away from uh the blimp hangar oh wow yeah (laughs) so it flies real low and i get to wave to you know the blimp and uh that's that's kind of cool i imagine that is that quiet it is it's super quiet i've actually been in it which is is rare one of the groups I volunteered with uh, for STEM, uh, they wound up winning an award. So they they had this competition where they were designing this dirigible uh, structure to lift up a payload, bring it from point A to point B, which was kind of a cool engineering challenge because you have this heavy payload and you have this blimp that's inflated to a certain pressure that can that can go and you know handle this giant payload. The problem is when you drop it off, you know that's going to rise. So you have to figure out how to kind of self-correct. So it was a very interesting problem. And these kids were in high school and and very smart, um, way way smarter than I was, but. <laughs> so they actually won and they kept it a secret, but they said, okay, so for winning, you you get these doodads and they had like electric chargers and whatever. You know, it was like, oh, that's kind of cool. We could have done something better, guys, you know, for, for the kids. And you and your mentor are going to go right on the blimp. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. This is a thing. So people will pay at an auction like $10,000. To go up on it. And I got to go for free. And it was such a cool experience. It was just, it was like being on a boat in the air is the best way that I could describe it. It was a very strange feeling. That is fascinating. I've always been curious, you know, like, yeah, because it's Mm -hmm. it's not something that 
most people will ever get to do. Right. Right. So, huh. Yeah. Yeah, most most people never get to get up there. I mean, my parents, my mother has asked incessantly. She is <laughs> she is like, "Can you get your dad on the blimp? He's obsessed with it." And I'm like, "No, mom, I can't get dad on the blimp. It's it's not something that's in my power. I'm not the CEO." Yeah, I'm not high enough in the company that I can do that. But you get lucky every once in a while. I know that there is like a list that you can get on and and that kind of thing. But that's cool. I just had to figure out who to talk to. Yeah. Well, with that, let's do ridiculous theme. So ridiculous theme. We come up with the ridiculous theme for a board game. So I'm pretty sure that there is a blimp board game out there. But I think like blimp racing would be cool. Ooh, okay. I like that. I actually, if if we want to talk about real life experience, uh, I do also enjoy a good thrift shop every once in a while. Oh. And my friend and sometimes co-host, uh, Justin, and I uh, actually did a board game uh, on thrift stores. So basically, we called it Thrifting. And it was it was a market manipulation game where you were trying to uh, basically do set collection, but try to get everything at the best price possible, uh, which meant, you know, putting it on different shelves or waiting for it to go on sale, because as you waited in the different rounds, it slid down in price or you could like swap tags and, you know, make one thing cheaper, you know, so that. I think I'm going to go with that as ridiculous theme because that's one that I haven't really seen covered at all. That is really good. I like that one a lot. <laughs> a little bit illegal there, huh? No, I'm just switching yeah, well, tags. Oh, shake well, my finger at that. No, but it's a board game. Yeah, exactly. We do plenty it's of illegal game. things in board games. There's there are some horrible things I've done in board games. Yes, <laughs> it's, it's a board game though, so no judgment. It's a board game. It's a board game. I might have started a thermonuclear war, but it was a board game. So See, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, the environment fine. will be fine. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's not real. Yeah, unless you buy a really big miniatures expansion, then you're a bad person and you've hurt the environment. Or a board yeah. game. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's been a topic lately, too, is is the environmental impact of board games and and one that I've been starting to pay a a little bit more attention to for for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's uh, I get really uh, you go through I go through like waves of guilt over certain things. If I have like I Mm -hmm. have games with lots of miniatures and I'm just like, oh, no, like. You know, I'm sure it didn't do that much damage, but that's how it works is like you don't do that much damage. But collectively, if we all do not that much damage, we've done a lot of damage. And I I do feel like there's a lot of if there was a little bit more focus on that, there's a lot of really cool materials that might be a little bit more expensive that we'd be able to start using for miniatures that produced some pretty cool results like there's a a clear biodegradable thermoplastic that i know one of my friends was talking about and it just fascinated me because i was like oh you could have these miniatures that you'd be able to go and you know they they'd hold up but i think it was like they degraded in water or something like that it was just really kind of fascinating yeah yeah that is fascinating well that inspires my ridiculous theme then is that you 
want to be the best worst person. So you have all of these different tasks where it's like, well, I'm not going to recycle today. It's like, <coughs> oh, excuse me. <coughs> I'm choking instant karma. I'm like, whoa, don't recycle. No, bad person. See? <laughs> Coming but it's back. Like, you know, but you have to time it right so that it's not like you didn't not recycle with the mass of masses. So you only get like a little bit of a negative point. But if you don't recycle and 10 other people don't recycle, then, you know, you're taking a bigger negative point, a negative karma points. Because uh, he. You, you cause like some sort of major collapse or something, you know, sort of major event and that contributed to it. So yeah, big point penalty. Yeah, exactly. So it's okay. like, Oh, you were a part of that shift. So I don't know. That could be a silly, that's a ridiculous idea of like trying to be the best or the like least worst, worst person. <laughs> And not that yeah. doing those things makes you a bad person by any means. Just to clarify, you're not a bad person right, if you don't right. always recycle or something. But, you know, it could also bring awareness to like, oh, you know what? This is, it's a good this teaching This is an moment. issue. Yeah, yeah. Like, here's how we can recycle. Here's how, what you can do better. Better water usage. Better blah, blah, blah. I think anytime that you kind of have to look at a theme head on, it does educate you a little bit. You know, I, I never really thought about the Cold War until I played uh, Twilight Struggle. Oh, you know, that was that was one thing that I was like, wow, you know, this really the this was really an influential time period. And I never really knew exactly what I didn't know about that time period because we had a, you know, you have your education about it from one particular side of things when you're going through school and then you get to see both sides, you know, especially if you play the other side, like you're looking at what they went through. You're looking at, you know, the issue from uh, multiple perspectives. It's just it, it, it's really kind of a cool educational opportunity. So, yeah, I could see that. That is really fascinating. I haven't played that. And a lot of my local friends here have been talking about it a lot. And I'm like, all right, I need to try it. Apparently, it seems when when I went into it and I did a review a while ago on it, um, but when I initially went into it, I kind of had this perspective of this game is going to be incredibly complicated and, you know, it's going to take me forever to learn and it's got this complex, you know, turn structure. And it really isn't. Once you Once you get into the turn structure, it's really like, I'm going to play a card and then resolve it. Yeah. And then resolve this other effect, possibly. That's it. And you're just kind of going back and forth and trying, you know, not to blow the world up, which, you know, <laughs> sometimes you can't avoid. Yeah, just such as life, regular old life every day, you know. <laughs> no, uh, But yeah, that's what I've heard is that it really is. It seems very uh, almost like front loaded, right? Where like it mm -hmm. feels like a heavy task at first. But once you understand that, it's. Very simple. I think there's a lot of games like that uh, that are an intimidating, maybe overwhelming feeling at first when you first get into it. But then you start playing and you're like, holy cow, this is so intuitive. This is so mm -hmm. it makes sense. Uh, yeah, it's like this was easy. Yeah, like Wonderland's War has been on my table quite a bit lately. And I feel like that mm -hmm. one is such a weird, tricky teach and people 
always feel overwhelmed. Like no matter how much you teach it, it's like you just need to play the first round. And then every time after the first round, they're like, yeah, I get this. Like Mm -hmm. now I know what I'm doing. Yeah, it's it's really at its core essence. It's essentially you've got a bag building phase and then you're using your bag building in combination with area control to try to hold on. That's pretty much what it is. You're using worker placement to be, mm-hmm. to build your to, bag. To build your bag. To control, <laughs> to do area control. <laughs> Maybe it's not <laughs> as simple as we thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. There is so much, but I love it. It's, it's in my top 10. That game is fantastic. The game is wonderful. And I, I played it on uh, TTS back when it was pre-release uh they they release a tts mod back when i was still using tts and i got my copy of it and it's a gorgeous game like i got all the deluxe pieces in that Mm -hmm. and i still haven't been able to get it out to the table it's so frustrating because Uh. it's such a gorgeous game i i love it it's a wonderful game i just haven't been able to get my physical copy out yeah do you okay? Well, that brings up another question of if you've played a game online, does that qualify as shelf of shame? No. Okay. I've already played it. See, I I agree with you. Other people have disagreed with this, but I I am of the well, if you wrong. have played it, it qualifies because it's like you know you like it. Otherwise, why would you have bought it afterwards? Right? Like exactly. Yeah, and and that's that's one thing. Actually, I think Wonderland's War, I don't think I marked that off as having played it. So maybe I'm down to 154. <laughs> maybe I'll keep it on there as incentive to go in and play my physical version. <laughs> a lot of times I will I will go back and need to play a physical version of something if I have played it online. Just because some games hit differently when they, they get to the table and you get that table presence. One of the, the good examples of that is uh, Need a Vetlier. Uh, which I I reviewed recently. And that game just feels different on the table than it does on a platform like Board Game Arena, uh, where you have those physical components, where you're able to see where the chips are. You're able to see, you know, all the different cards at once. And I feel like it's a different experience than just having that two-dimensional uh, artwork on board game arena. So I will go back and do that every once in a while. Uh, usually I will play my physical copy once it's, it's come in and some games I've played both and I'm like, I do not need the physical version of this whatsoever. And through the ages was an example of that. That was like the app for that was so well done that I was like, yeah, I don't need the physical version of this at all. <laughs> this that makes great. a lot of sense. Yeah. For them, it's like 99% of the time, uh, the digital implementation just can't compete with the physical, you know, mm-hmm. tactile experience of a board game. But every once in a while, there's an app where you're like, I don't have to set this up. I don't have to like do all of this shuffling or do like these uh, upkeep phases. Mm-hmm. I can just play it and it's glorious. I don't have to control these population cubes and figure out my, you know, my population's happiness and all this other stuff. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, just track that for me. But yeah, it's you know, something, something like Wonderland's War, it might be a pain to set up, 
But once you've got it going on there, you know, bag building is just not as satisfying online as it oh, is no. pulling that chip out and looking at it and seeing, oh, yeah, this is what I wanted or, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's it's just not as good. Yeah, absolutely agree. And that hey, you got the nice Kickstarter, you know, the deluxe edition. So it's it makes setup a lot nicer. Because mm-hmm. uh, I have both. I bought the original and then Skybound or like I bought the, the retail version and then Skybound uh, sold the, you know, their the the upgrade leftovers. Kit, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Well, I just had to buy the whole new thing, right? <laughs> oh, they didn't. I think they just sold the the whole package, the whole the box. Yeah. 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 And I was like, hey, that seems worth it. Like I played this once and I really I loved it. So and it is like it it makes the setup time way more manageable anyways well we should probably wrap up sure i mean i could talk for hours but i probably should yes (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure you have other things to do as well yes (laughs) for sure and you know editing episodes the longer the episode goes the longer the edit so no kidding i know that way too well (laughs) and it also sounds like i've got like bombers going over me uh i hear planes off in the distance and a lot of that's rude i know (laughs) come on be considerate exactly (laughs) so uh yeah why don't you go ahead and plug your stuff where people can find you everything yes so uh if you just want a general overview of what i do you can go to cardboardtime.com it has all my socials and links and all sorts of good stuff there you can uh find the latest version of my shelf of shame there uh i constantly keep that linked uh to my board game geek account so that's up there you can find me on instagram and twitter at cardboard underscore time I have a Board Game Geek podcast page, uh, Board Game Arena Guild. You can just search for Cardboard Time and find me on there. But yeah, go to the website and you can find pretty much everything from there. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Arwen, for coming on and chatting with me. I had a lot of fun getting to know you more. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it wherever you're listening to it from. Share it with your friends and family who you think might like it, or even just sharing it on social media. That helps the show out a lot. And thank you to everyone who does. That means a lot to me. And thanks to everyone who follows me and interacts with me on Twitter, at RildNerd. I love getting to interact with people there. If you're interested in other things that I'm doing, then from the day this airs, yesterday, you can go and watch me play Barrage for the first time. I've never played it, really wanted to, and I am going to be playing that on Mr. Rao Gaming's YouTube channel with Ryan and David from All Games New and Old and Tim from Board Game Hot Takes. I love getting to play games with them monthly on YouTube. It's a lot of fun. And as always, I have Friend Info Adventure Co., an immaturely mature podcast. It's uh, it's definitely explicit, but the next episode that comes out on that is going to be on Tuesday, episode 22. And I am very, very proud of that episode. So if you've never listened to the show, that might be a decent place to start. It's an actual play podcast using the TTRPG based on the Borderlands universe or their D&D, B&B. All right, that is it. Until next time, keep nerding out. So... Actually, one of the the memories, I have shared this before, but one of my favorite board gaming memories 
was kind of board gaming adjacent. Uh, we were at Origins this year, and we got done with the convention. We had just kind of uh, wrapped things up for the day, uh, and we were talking with some people uh, from different companies, uh, Ray from CGE, and then uh, Court Sakmar from uh, Thames and Cosmos wanted to grab dinner. So Jamie, myself, Ray, and Court all went over to uh, this place across the street called Barley's Brew Pub, who, by the way, if you go to Origins, make sure to check your coupon books. You get a little glass. Anyways, so we we went over. We were planning on board gaming later that night, but we wanted to get something to eat. And we got our burgers. We hung out. We chatted. And then we said, hey, you know what would be really good is some ice cream right now. So we walked down the road and we were just hanging out. We walked down the road. We got ice cream. And there was kind of this serendipitous moment. And it was weird because all of us kind of experienced it. But Jamie and myself especially, uh, where it was just this calm peace and everything was right with the world. I wasn't thinking about anything else. I wasn't even worried about the game that I was going to teach, which sometimes goes through my mind. But it was just this really calm piece. And it was just the the most serendipitous experience I ever think that that I've experienced in my my entire life. Like it was it was just this inner peace. And I think, you know, those moments with friends are what really define this industry and this community. It's it's really something that you're there, you're hanging out with people, you're enjoying the company of really awesome people. And just having those moments is fantastic. And at the end of the night, we had like a two and a half hour session of uh, cartographers which was two and a half hours because we were loopy and nobody was able to play the game as it was, you know, supposed to be played and nobody seemed to grasp the concept of it at one o'clock in the morning. So we, we have very fond memories of that. And uh, that's the one that really sticks out to me. It's just a really good, warm, fuzzy feeling for me. 